0: Kevin Hargadon, you are the new director of the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice. You're a Presbyterian elder as well and a theologian. And I want to talk to you today about your new role and where you see the future of the centre going as a new director. And you've taken over from the Jesuit John Gainey. What I want to first look at, however, before we go there, is to say to you, you we're speaking to you, uh, you're in Kildare because you're on lockdown at the moment. How is it down there because of the rise in COVID cases? Uh, you've had semi-lockdown. How's it going?
1: Lockdown in Kildare, local lockdown as we're calling it, isn't as bad as the one in the spring. We're doing our best to keep life as normal as possible. And I think that people are fairly... Uh, I don't want to say they're casual or laid back. I think people are renewed in their commitment to fight COVID, but at the same time, they're, they're obviously not trying to freak out. And you see, I live in Manoose now, and you walk down the main street on the rare days when it's not lashing rain this summer, and there are people out eating in restaurants, and there are people going in and out of the library, and normal life continues, but it is all masked up and socially distanced. So I suppose it's the new normal And uh, we just hope that it remains a local lockdown and doesn't have to become a provincial or even worse again, a national lockdown.
0: We've been told that there are meat factories in the counties that have had to have the, the lockdown. So it does reflect issues around working conditions in meat factories and in general in direct provision centres as well, which our Jesuit Refugee Service look at. Is that something that the centre would be looking at as well in terms of social justice policy?
1: Absolutely. In fact, uh, one of the centre's main functions is to produce twice a year a a journal called Working Notes that tries to bring the best fresh thinking about social policy into conversation with questions of social justice and Catholic social teaching. And so our next issue of Working Notes is going to be themed around the idea of policy for after the pandemic. And one of the things that we're going to argue there in a very large piece that's written by the team of the Centre, it's not even a a solitary work, but it's a collaborative work by myself and my colleagues. And what we're going to argue is that The public health crisis that we're discovering now is also a labour rights crisis. And when we think about that in the long term, what we're going to find is that the environmental crisis also impacts on labour rights. We've protected the ability for workers to protest in times of crisis and to go on strike. But those formal rights haven't been updated really and overhauled in a very long time. And COVID-19 is revealing to us in a fresh way that we rely on low-paid staff who have previously had low status to keep this society taking over. And a lot of the frontline and most essential people who have got us through this year are people who are on low wages and who work in bad conditions. So the people in the dog food factories and the meat factories, but also the big collectors and people who are precariously employed as contractors in hospitals. I mean, the list goes on and on. So it becomes an issue not just of workers' rights, but of public health and then in time of environmental health that we would protect people. And when people go to work, they should be safe. And when they've done a full week's work, they should have enough money to be able to live safely. And what we're discovering is that that's not the case. Um, We have the means to to remedy that. So why don't we? It would serve all of us if we were caring
0: for these workers better. It is really interesting how interconnected all those fields are. You've talked about the environment, you've talked about public health, you've talked about housing and working conditions. And then we have COVID-19 comes along and shows in high relief how interconnected they all are and how the way we treat one part of the environment rebounds right back on not just the workers but on the whole community. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, it used to be dismissed in certain quarters in Ireland as kind of soft religious talk to kind of imagine that all life is interconnected as Pope Francis says in La Dato Si. But COVID-19 has exposed how this is the most realistic view possible, that the people who are delusional are the ones who think that their wealth and their comfort can save them. Because COVID-19 will jump across class barriers. COVID-19 will leap into the leafy suburbs. It makes a mockery of the protections that we've erected for ourselves through our unfair and unjust social systems. So uh, I hope that the new normal that we move into after COVID-19, when we've defeated this virus, I hope that we're able to remember that insight that we are actually interconnected. We are truly reliant on each other. And if we're a society that's leaving people behind, ultimately that's going to hurt us individually. We can't go on with the old normal of self-interest. We have to reorientate our thinking away from that radical and alienated individualism into something that's more sustainably communal. And I think it's one of the great advantages of the centre that we don't just focus on one thing. And so we're well placed to participate in that conversation and draw out the ways in which policy in this area, say agriculture, and policy in that area, say housing, they are actually interconnected and we need an integrated approach that makes sense of all of the different issues for the sake of the people who are marginalised in our society.
0: That's actually a good point, And you've highlighted it by saying that in this next edition of your publication, Working Notes, which is read by politicians and other people who may be making policy, that all the articles will come from the staff in the centre. You might go through those staff and what their areas of expertise are, because they are diverse.
1: Yeah, yeah. We have a young, vibrant and deeply committed team and they're specialists in each of their respective roles. So we have Martina Madden who works with us and with the Jesuit Mission Office helping us tone our communication. And then there's Dr. Kira Murphy who is a biological scientist, who is our environmental policy advocate. And then there's Keith Adams, who is a rare breed in that he is an expert in both qualitative and quantitative social policy research. So he takes care of our housing and our penal policy domain. And then I am a theologian who has a particular focus in Christian ethics and moral theology, so I am in charge of our work on economic ethics. And then we're in constant dialogue with John Guiney, the former director, and, of course, Peter McFerry sticks around and he has some wise things to say every now and again. You know,
0: occasionally (laughs) he comes up with a gem. So the team is more than the sum of its parts, and we have built up this wonderful rapport
1: that means that our work is truly collaborative, and I think that those who have been paying attention to the centre will have seen the, the intense adaptation that's happened over the last three years. Under John's leadership, what we have, I think, developed is a capacity to speak to a range of different audiences, informed by the Ignatian tradition,
0: but with direct relevance for the contemporary problems of modern Ireland. When you say informed by the Ignatian tradition, what exactly do you mean there?
1: Well, there's two aspects of that. The first is that Jesuit social justice tradition, so much of liberation theology emerges either directly from Jesuits or in dialogue with kind of Jesuit activism and Jesuit ministry. So there's that hard theological material that we see now uh, through Francis' being mainstreamed into the entire global church. And at the same time, we're very comfortable with that theological material and we're very excited about individually and corporately as a team investigating the ways in which Ignatian spirituality should be informing our work in terms of social justice. Because you can know yourself that, especially for example around the environment, uh, despair and exhaustion sets in when this is your day-to-day work and it just seems like the world is facing a very dark period. So there's no space for us optimistic about the outcomes of our work in that area what we need is something more than optimism which is hope and it seems to us that we need to have spiritual resources to be able to nourish our own work in that regard and ignatian spirituality is obviously centuries-long incredibly rich tradition that allows us to tap into scripture and into mystics and into daily practices of prayer that mean that we're nourished in our souls for the work that we have to do. Does that make sense? So it's the the theology and the spirituality together that the Jesuits offer, that even though we ourselves are lay people, uh,
0: we feel like it's a great honour to be able to work under that tradition. Absolutely. And I think it's really important because at the level you speak, at one level, you have your academic credentials. You've all done your work. You are experts in your particular fields. And that's really important, but it isn't just another non-governmental organisation or even a governmental organisation doing really good work in the area of the environment or in the area of health policy or housing policy, but it is a Jesuit centre for justice and therefore it does bring that dimension that you've outlined very well, which is very important. What is the added value that being a Jesuit, Ignatian-based, faith-based centre can bring? And I think you've explained that very well. That would be part of your vision then as a theologian and as a Presbyterian elder for the centre in the years to come?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an odd situation to be in because, you know, you don't anticipate as a Presbyterian theologian that you would end up Working with the Society of Jesus, but it's actually been a wonderful fit. I've received nothing but encouragement and the best kind of provocation to deepen my understanding of the ways in which God calls us to act for the sake of those who are marginalised in our society. This would have been actually the 40th anniversary year for the foundation of the Centre, and we had been putting together a range of celebrations that are of course now on pause until we can all gather together to mark those efforts. So this year we've been in conversation with people like Frank Salmon and John Sweeney who established the Centre back in 1980, and with the people who have led the Centre over the decades since then, and it's amazing to think that we have this great heritage to be able to draw upon, and that really counts because in the NGO sector, in social justice activism. You can be so quickly led astray by the bads and the demands of the present moment. This is especially so now in this age of social media where just like things can escalate into a kind of frenzy and before long you don't know where you stand and you've got no way to navigate how you ought to adapt to this or that particular question. But. By rooting our work in the centre's history and in the stream of activism arising out of liberation theology, we're able to retain our commitment to the people who remain consistently and unequivocally marginalised, such as the prison population, such as people without homes, those who are living in poverty in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. So that means that no matter how our culture changes and how inclusive we now claim to be, those people who remain outside the care of our state remain our focus. And Obviously, none of us anticipated COVID-19 So our work this year is very different from what we had anticipated. But I feel very confident that the centre can play a useful role for the province as we work out together what the universal apostolic preferences actually mean in Ireland in 2020 and in the coming decade.
0: You might mention the universal apostolic preferences for people who don't know what they are, who are listening to this. They are the priorities that the leader of the Jesuits worldwide, Father Toro Sosa, has asked the whole Jesuit community and colleagues and co-workers to focus on. Tell me though about those and how you see them fitting into your plan and your role as director.
1: Exactly right in terms of these are the kind of trajectories that are meant to guide the Jesuits and their lay partners over the coming decade. I think they were figured out in a very large classically Jesuit deliberation process, a dialogue that went on over a long period of time and took in inputs from around the world and these are the four kind of navigational points for us. First is the importance of showing the way to God, which I love, but the cornerstone remains this unique proposition of good news that's brought to us by Jesus. But then the second, third, and fourth are more classically social justice questions, but they're all integrated and flowing out from that theological claim. And they are walking with the excluded, journeying with youth, and caring for our common home. And as the centre thought about the universal apostolic preferences, we were really struck by the ways in which our work does harmonise with these agenda. Our thinking had been already moving in the direction after Laudato see that social justice issues increasingly are going to become subsets of this grander adaptation to climate and biodiversity breakdown. So that final point of caring for our common home is the ways in which we're going to start thinking about questions, for example, of housing policy or questions of economic ethics. So we think that the centre is Directly in the target for walking with the excluded and caring for our common home. And then, uh, as a part of that, journeying with youth is invariably going to be our work because the justice issues that we're facing do have this generational aspect. The Jesuit schools, for example, are very prominent in the Fridays for Future protests. The students who have been exposed to the ideas of the Jesuit tradition have correctly made the connection between that love of justice and the need for. Climate adaptation so those three questions of walking with the excluded the journey with youth and how do we care for our common home that is the work of our center and when we're located properly within the province then the aspect of showing the way to god is hopefully kind of overarching all of our work we're not a proselytizing organization our purpose is not to evangelize we don't need to preach uh, that would not be appropriate even if we were competent to do it But hopefully
0: we can contribute to something of the holistic and coherent witness that the church is making to the problems that the world faces. I think what you're saying is important because it's highlighting where we started in our conversation, the interlinkage of the different areas of life that we can sometimes parcel up. It's the one thing that has often struck me if I'm looking at an environmental issue. It has ramifications everywhere, right down to employment. If I don't eat meat and make that decision for an environmental and concern for animals, then you have to say, well, what happens to the farmers? And therefore, we need people who are looking at the bigger picture and find a way to progress through that, that takes into account the knock-on effects that may happen when we decide on one path of action and haven't realised this has created a problem somewhere else.
1: Absolutely. Of course, we don't have all the answers. But coming out of the Christian tradition, we at least have this disposition, this stance, this attitude, this habitual kind of openness to the world that means that whatever the question, we at least are able to step forward with the fruits of the Spirit. Them with kindness or from Ignatian tradition with a desire to see the good in the other person and to hear them at their very best. These are orientations that we have that allow us to discern the correct path in each particular context. There's nothing that's remote in the world from the kind of holistic vision that we have. There's nothing that's out of reach for the Christian who really understands that The world is sustained in love by god so the questions of justice aren't abstract technocratic expert questions that are just for a select few they're things that ought to concern all of us so we're very excited by the possibility of contributing to that bigger conversation in ireland because we think that that's a very distinctive and unique voice that we're able to offer and it's one that society i think needs
0: Absolutely. And particularly maybe that no, the word you used earlier, which is hope, because if we were to be optimistic, I think we're really barking up a wrong tree. There isn't a lot of grounds for optimism. But I like that distinction you make that optimism isn't hope. What are our grounds for hope then, Kevin? And what are your grounds for hope as you face into the many challenges that the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice will be tackling and looking at in the years ahead?
1: My fundamental sense of hope arises from the Christian story tells us that even in the darkest hours when things seem at their most hopeless, when things appear to be dead, God usually has another plan. There's usually another chapter that's waiting to be opened. We don't have to rely on optimism and we are able to resist pessimism because in the end love wins. That sounds very banal and cliche, but I think that it takes on a certain muscle when we think about the events of the last year, you know, 2020 started with these apocalyptic forest fires in Australia and has remarkably just gotten worse with every passing month. So we're in a dark hour. The hope that I have comes from the universal sense that this is dark. Nobody's trying to present this as a tolerable situation. And there is a occasional moments of insight when we are able to connect the a dissatisfying old normal that we had before COVID-19 with the possibility of a new normal that we could establish together that would be more sustainable, that would allow us to have more time to appreciate the things that genuinely matter, that we've discovered, many of us have been able to discover in lockdown, that the slower pace of life is a better one. So my hope arises from that faith that God isn't finished with us. And it's expressed in the desire to try to shape the conversation that we're having so that when this period of COVID tide ends, we don't just fall back into old habits. And we do uh, seek to establish a society that cares for those who are marginalised, that uh, seeks to achieve justice and that uses our prosperity uh, for human flourishing, not just for accumulation in the bank accounts of the rich.